Welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what is required to move a revival in our community. Because there are actually things that you can look at historically throughout Scripture, throughout the movement of the church, that says this is what is required to create God moving in us. Now, here's the thing. There's no formula for God moving. I know a lot of churches want to, like, manufacture something. I'm not interested in that. But there are practices that facilitate a move of God in our lives and in a community. On my birthday... A good friend of mine uh, met me up, and he was like, hey, I want to take you out to a very nice dinner, you and your family. I was like, I'm not, I will not argue with that. So last Monday, he took us out to this very nice restaurant that I've been wanting to go to, and uh, we sit down, and he says this. Have you ever had someone sit you down, and they say, buy whatever you want? You know, but some of you are like, no, I've never had that experience. So that's okay. That's okay. I don't have it that often, but it happened this time. And, and, and I'm always a little skeptical when someone says that, you know? You know, have you ever had that happen? You're like, do you really mean that? Because do you see the price of the filet mignon and lobster, right? <laughs> Is it like buy whatever you want or buy whatever you want, you know? So, <laughs> but he said, listen, I'm going to be angry with you if you do not spend X amount of dollars. And then I'm like, all right, let's go, right? <laughs> let's do this. Let's have a good birthday dinner, right? Now, here's the thing. It freed up a space for me to move and know how to move in that space that I didn't have before because it created some clarity. Now, when we come to God and we say, hey, you have unhindered access to my life. You have unhindered, get whatever you want. God, get whatever you want. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to give up my resources. Get whatever you want. It's not that God needs permission to move. It gives God space to move. Because God's a gentleman, and he gives us free will. And when we go, hey, God, I give you freedom to move, he moves. He's like, great, I've been looking forward to this. And now I will move alongside of you. See, for some of us in our lives, God moves in spite of us. And when we step into a season of revival, of fasting and praying, God moves because of us. He moves with us. He moves in, con- in concordance with us. And so here's the thing. Everyone wants God to do amazing things tomorrow. Not everyone is willing to pay the price to consecrate themselves today. And that's what we as a community are doing. It is a very rare thing in our culture to say, I'm going to do what's needed today to have a tomorrow turn out that I long for. And so we are going to step into a passage of scripture that's going to start off this revival conversation. See, looking to the beginning of humanity gives us so much insight into how God designed things and how he intended things to be set up. And when you look at how God starts the story in Genesis, he puts people in this garden, Adam and Eve, and he sets them free. He's like, freedom, do what you need to do. He gives them one restriction, don't eat of this tree. But the the main message that he gives to Adam and Eve in the beginning, to humanity, is my longing is that you would be connected with me unhindered and that you would be completely free in that process. Now, if you look at that original design and where humanity is today, something has gone awry, yes? 
I don't know if you would look at the human story and be like, man, we are so free. Man, we are just, they're, they're, if, if you were to describe the human species, they are just completely free. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. But this is what took place in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the man said, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me some fruit for the tree and I ate it, of course. And then the Lord says to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, it's so fascinating that Adam and Eve, they decide to disobey God and their natural instinct was to hide. That no one had to teach them that. They didn't have to learn that. It wasn't a conversation that they had with one another. It was an instantaneous reaction. See, in the previous moment, humanity was free, they were released to live as they pleased. They were walking among the garden with everything they need, living in abundance and prosperity. And the next second, they find themselves in scarcity, hiding because they want to protect themselves. See, here, the context that God establishes for humanity, not only in relationship to him, but with one another, is openness, transparency, vulnerability, freedom, abundance, more than enough. This is the context that God sets for humanity. And then everything shifts in one action in the middle of this. See, there, there are certain human behaviors that come instinctually to us. They're like baked into our DNA. So when Jackson uh, was born, both of our kids were born in a bathtub, not like in a barn, in a birthing center. And uh, Marla gave birth in the water. And I was kind of freaked out by that idea at the beginning, like what's going to happen to the kids. But it's so fascinating because when Jackson was born, the midwife held Jackson under the water for like 30 seconds just to get him taken care of. And I'm thinking, what are we doing here? Are we suffocating the newborn? Is this some weird like witch doctor midwife practice that was going on? I know this is very hippie, but this is a little more hippie than I wanted, right? And she brings Jackson up, and it wasn't until he got out of the water that he took his first breath. Because he instinctually knew that the second air touched his skin, he needed to breathe. And the second thing happened with Colin. Because we instinctually know that when air touches our skin, we no longer need the oxygen supplied from our mother. We now get to breathe the air around us. And then no one needs to teach kids how to crawl. Have you noticed that? They just do it. I know, I know dads especially are like, crawl, kid, right? But... but they just do it, and then they eventually get up and walk, and then they eventually start speaking. And no one has to teach them how to do these things. They're instinctual to them. This is a part of what it means to be human beings. They can be encouraged. There are certain techniques that we can use to make them uh, happen faster, but, but it's part of the instinct. Now, the great thing about what we see with Adam and Eve is we recognize a human instinct that's also built into our DNA, is that when we disobey, we hide. That no one had to teach them that. 
No one had to instruct them in what to do. It was a natural instinct that took place inside of them. Now, God did tell them that they would die if they ate the fruit, so I would be hiding as well, right? (laughs) Death seems like not a great option, but this is where they found themselves. When they disobey, they immediately found themselves in survival. And this is the place where we go when we're out of alignment with who God has called us to be. See, this is connected to this human instinct for survival, See, when we feel like we need to survive a situation, when we're in danger, even imagined danger, the part of our brain called the reptilian brain pops on and it basically says, you need to do nothing but survive. And again, this could be a real experience like, oh, I'm in the woods and a bobcat is chasing me and you just need to run, right? Every instinct turns off except run. Or this could be you're in a breakdown with your spouse, And all of a sudden, you feel like you're not going to survive. And all of your brain shuts off. Or how many of you have ever had this situation where you're at work and your boss says, hey, I need to see you in my office. And all of a sudden, your brain shuts off. Because your reptilian brain goes on and it goes, I just need to survive. In fact, preserve all the energy, turn off all the other functions for survival, right? And that's what takes place here in this moment. Is this fight or flight or imitate instinct pops up and Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. See, here's the thing. When we find ourselves there, not only does it move us into this survival way of living, but it closes down all other options available to us. It just closes down all of all the other brain functions. It certainly does not let you make creative choices. It certainly doesn't allow you to think about how this decision is going to impact what next, what's next. It just dilates your pupils and says, survive. And so when we find ourselves in survival, all of our freedom gets shut down to one option, stay alive. And this is where Adam and Eve found themselves. When they find themselves out of alignment with who God has called them to be, disobeying, engaging in this level of brokenness, all they attempt to do is survive. See, this is what happens when we decide to live a smaller life, is that All we can see is the need to survive what's in front of us. And look, let's just be honest. How many of us find ourselves in that place? How many of us are in that place? How many of us find ourselves over and over and over again in this space of survival? I talk to so many people who are overwhelmed with a sense of shame inside of them. That are overwhelmed with this sense of judgment and regret and darkness for things that they have done or not done, for things that have been done to them or have not been done for them. And they live with this weight of shame around the choices that they've made in their lives. And it's amazing how the human spirit instinctually knows when it's out of alignment with who God has called us to be and the life that we were designed to live Because many of us walk around with this sense of shame, and because of that, we walk around with this sense of survival, and we find ourselves using our energy attempting to hide, rather than engaging the energy given to us to go create the future, to go step into the tomorrow that God longs for us to have. Now, we might not always be aware of it, but we find ourselves here over and over and over again, where we feel helpless or hopeless in certain areas where we feel scarce, where we experience not enoughness or that God 
could never forgive me for or if only someone knew that I had these behaviors or thoughts or actions or attitudes or way of seeing the world. If only, if someone found out everything would be a mess, everything would change. And so we find ourselves there. It might not even be something that you did or didn't do. It could be something from your past that someone did to you. It could be something from your past that someone didn't do for you that you longed for them to do and you carry around the weight of shame and guilt and the heaviness with it and you just hide because you're in survival attempting to free yourself from what you imagine is coming next. There is no freedom in this space. And let me just tell you, this will suck your energy. In fact, when I talk to people often that are like, I don't know what's going on with me. I've been to the doctor. Everything's fine. I, I'm exhausted. I don't know what's going on. I've done every test. Oftentimes my first conversation is, let's talk about what needs to be confessed. Let's talk about the weight that you're carrying. Because it will drain you of your energy. Now, God, after Adam and Eve hide in their need to survive, God comes and he asks this question. He asks this question, where are you? Now, I used to love playing hide-and-seek with my boys because I would, you know, I would go count, and they would go hide, and I would turn around to go find them, and I'd be, where's Jackson? And he would immediately go, I'm behind the door! <laughs> don't look, don't look, though. Don't look behind the door, right? <laughs> and I'd walk around, where's Jack? Oh, he couldn't be behind the door. Is he under the table, right? Is he behind the curtain, right? All of those things. Because it wasn't like I don't know where Jackson is, but I play along with the scenario, right? And when God comes into his garden that he created, that he is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipowerful with, and goes, where are you? He's not like curious about what happened to the creatures he created. He's not like, oh man, where are they hiding in the middle of this? It's not God unaware of the situation. He wasn't shocked. See, when God says, where are you? What he was doing was giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to come back into freedom. He said, hey, where are you? Where are you? Would you be interested in coming back into relationship with me? Would you be interested in stepping back into freedom? Would you be interested in getting out of survival and into a creative space where we together can go keep curating this garden that will take over the world and bring beauty and hope to the world? See, if shame and guilt was his plan, this is a horrible strategy right? Because he could have said, where are you? What did you do? Right? Now, I know for most of you, the voice of your parents start ringing in your head, right? <laughs> Why did you do that? I told you not to eat of that. He could have done any number of those things, but he doesn't. He invites them into this question, hey, where are you? Why, why on earth would you make that decision? That's a little silly over there. <laughs> and that is always his position, that there's never a position that God will take contrary to this question. Hey, where are you? Because he always invites us back into the light. And revival always begins with stepping back into the light. It begins with this spiritual practice of confession. Because confession allows us to step back into the light that we have removed ourselves from. And see, even after God allows them to experience the full weight of their choices, God wasn't like, okay, just kidding, do over. He was serious. He was like, wait, human beings are now going to die. And you are not going to be allowed in this garden anymore. 
Adam, you're going to have to work the ground. Eve, childbirth is going to be very painful for you, and this is what the future holds. So he didn't, he didn't remove the consequences from them, but even in the consequences, the entire narrative of the scriptures, if you want to boil down the narrative of the scriptures, it is God attempting to undo what humanity did in their attempt to disconnect them from God, to live a smaller life, and then hide. The entire narrative is God going, how do I undo this knot that you created? How do I undo all of the decisions? And how do I redeem everything that was done so that we can get back to this place of freedom and intimacy and creativity and movements together? That he would literally die so that we could get back to this space. And here's the beautiful thing, is that nothing you ever confess is going to shock God. I know we think it will, right? I know we think God is just waiting to punish us, but, but here's the thing that I found, is that the more we confess, whatever it is that we confess, it just causes God to pursue us harder. That when we're willing to step into the light, God's like, yes, let's go. Let's have at it. See, this is what let us, lets us know that it's never the thing that we're hiding that causes us to lose the freedom. It's the act of hiding that causes us to lose the freedom. See, oftentimes we think it's this big thing from my past that causes me to, to be stuck and have the energy drained from me and all of the poor decisions that I've made. It is never actually that. That is never actually what drains you. That is never actually the thing that's going to shock God or oftentimes shock other people. It is the act of keeping it covered up, hidden, that drains the energy out of us. People oftentimes come to me, confess, I love that, confession is a regular practice of my life, and here's the thing, people oftentimes will call me up, Pastor Nathan, I have something to confess, it's so big, and it's so hard, and I, I get it, I get it, I've been there before, and we'll meet, and they'll share their confession with me, and I almost have to like put my, oh man, face on, because usually what they confess is, to them, like a heavy weight, so I honor that. But what I get most excited about is, oh, you instantly are now free from it. Yeah. You are instantly now free. I know for a second ago it seemed big, it seemed insurmountable, it seemed like you couldn't overcome this, but it actually wasn't that. That wasn't the thing. I know you felt that if anyone ever knew this, your life would change, and now someone does, and guess what? Now there's just freedom. Now there's just possibilities. Now there's just creativity. Now there's intimacy with the Father. Now there's something new available on the other side of this thing. It moves us into this new space. This is what lets us know it's never the thing. It's always the act of hiding. I love when David says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, we often read into the scripture punitive language because that's just what we're used to in our own relationships. So sometimes we read this as, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces will find mercy, right? I think we have this natural tendency to, to read it like that. And I think at times we have this image of God that he's just waiting to wail on us. Like he's just waiting to punish us. He's just waiting to remove blessings or he's waiting to remove possibilities or whatever it may be. And here's the thing, is that we've experienced that from other people where we've shared something vulnerably and they've wailed on us. 
or they've hurt us, or they've shamed us, or they walked away, or they say, how could you, or whatever it may be. And so we're used to that from other people, where we share vulnerability, and that vulnerability is shared and used against us. But this doesn't say whoever sins gets punished. It doesn't say whoever sins gets docked Jesus points, right? It doesn't say whoever sins completely falls out of grace. That's not what this says. It actually says that when you sin, you actually can't access the abundance that you were designed for. That when we hide our sin and we cover it up, the act of covering it up, that in the cover-up, we can't access the abundance. There's now a wall between us and the abundance that God's calling us into. See, because what God is into is a prosperity conversation. Now, I know that word makes some of you very nervous. Right? (laughs) And that word has been misused. But the scripture says, whoever confesses their sins will prosper. So it is a prosperity conversation. It's just not in the way that prosperity has been used. See, because prosperity has often been used as if you confess, you'll get the house. If you confess, you'll get the money. If you follow Jesus, your life will be perfect. But what this says is that when you confess, the wall between you and the abundant life that God's called you into, the wall between you and the possibilities for something new, the wall between you and the creativity that God has called you into are now torn down. And so now you can prosper because now there is so much more available to you other than just surviving and needing to keep things hidden. It gets you out of the space in your head where you just need to figure out, how do I stay alive? And it releases you into a conversation of how do I go and step into the future that God has called me to create? And this is the beautiful thing about God asking us to confess is what he's saying is, I'm not into a punitive conversation with you. I'm actually in a prosperity conversation with you around confession. But it's the fear of punishment that drives us to hide. See, the whole time God is in a momentum conversation for our life, and this is what light does. It gives us momentum in every area. See, because if I was to say, hey, we're going to turn off the lights, it's going to be pitch black out, black in here, and I want you to run out the doors, you're probably going to be like, oh, I don't know about this, right? But if I turn on the lights and say run out the doors, you're like, no problem, let's go. Because light provides a context for momentum to happen. It lets us see what's in front of us, and then we can navigate this. And the second we confess, we find mercy. Now, this word find is intentional here because it says we find mercy. It doesn't say that God will give us mercy again. See, because God never revealed his, God never removed his mercy. God never removed it. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what has taken place in your life. I don't care what that God's mercies are new daily, that they are constant, they are moving, they are free. It does not say that now God can give you mercy again. It says that you will find mercy because when you are stuck covering up your darkness, when you are stuck covering up your brokenness, when you are stuck covering up your past, it blinds you from the mercy that is available to you in the moment. See, because you assume that God is not merciful, and that is why we need to hide. 
Because if I reveal this, then mercy is no longer available to me. But God's like, no, it's here. You will now be able to see it. See, again, what is keeping you from mercy is not the thing that you are attempting to hide. What's keeping you from mercy is your own judgment about yourself and about what you did or didn't do. That's what's keeping you. It's never the thing. It's about the own judgment that you are holding on to against yourself that, by the way, God is like, I am not interested in that conversation. I don't see that. I'm not interested in holding these against you. I am interested in you getting back into my mercy. I'm interested in you removing the blinders so you can see the mercy again so that we can get back to the place where you are creating once again. I mean, look, just think about this. Think about something in your life that you have a hard time confessing. Maybe something that you're like, man, if, everyone, if anyone found out about this, I would be seen poorly or I would look bad, right? Maybe, an, maybe it's an attitude that you have. You're like, maybe I have this attitude towards someone or towards people or whatever it may be. Just think about something in your life that if you confessed, maybe it's a, a financial practice or maybe it's a behavior or a, a thought reoccurring that you have. Now, oftentimes we think about this, oh, I can never confess these being huge, they're big, right? Now, here's the thing. If someone came, a trusted friend, and said, hey, could I confess something to you? And they confessed that, would you hold the same judgment towards them that you hold against yourself? No. In fact, it would probably be an honor that they came to you and confessed. Like, man, I'm so grateful that you would come to me and that you would share this and that now we can have some freedom and this can be brought into the light. And yet we find ourselves heaping on judgment and shame that was never ours to actually take on. And yet somehow we believe that God would do the same for us. Now, here's the hard truth. And if you're able to see this, it will transform your paradigm through which you view confession. Is that whatever you are unwilling to confess, the judgment about yourself is also the judgment that you have about other people. It's impossible to hold a judgment about yourself. I'm so unworthy. I am not capable of love. That God could never forgive this, or I'm such a horrible person. Guess what? I don't care how good of a person you are. When you look out, you apply those same standards to your friends, to your kids, to your spouse. And if you elevate this standard above what God has called you to your own life, guess what you're doing with the people in your life? Better get up to it. There's a demand of performance on every single other person in your life in the same way that you have a demand on your life to perform in some way. And so it echoes out to everyone else. And so now people are not seen as a resource. They are seen as a threat. This is where the scriptures say, the measure that you judge, it will be judged back to you. See, God's not like doing some weird spiritual judo. He's like, look, whatever filter you have about your own stuff, you're gonna use that same filter when you're looking out at other people. So we hold on to judgment. Here, but here's the other thing that keeps us from confessing. One is judgment, but the other one is just arrogance, right? Let's be honest. We all have a view of ourselves that we like to maintain, don't we? Amen. I mean, how many of us are like, I love feedback, right? <laughs> My wife loves feedback, but <laughs> she's an oddball. But, <laughs> but most of us are like, yeah, how many of you have ever had someone, hey, can I talk to you about something that took place, something that's going on, some, give you some feedback? Usually we're instantly like, ugh, right? Because we have this image of ourselves that we like to maintain, and confessing causes this perfect picture that we have of ourselves to be tarnished in some way. Now how I view myself is tarnished. In fact, I get nervous in my life when I come to like a time of confession and I can't think of anything. 
then I'm like, oh, I am way out of touch with my humanity. I am completely out of touch with what's going on. I can't see it. And that's a dangerous place to be because now I'm more concerned in preserving my image than I am about freedom. And there's a difference between those two. So we conceal to keep up appearances, and this is actually what we're attempting to keep alive. This is what moves us into survival. We are attempting to keep alive the image of us that we have developed, of how good I am, how perfect I am, how everything is together, and we will do anything to maintain this image of looking good. And the more I struggle with perfectionism, the more I'm out of touch with humanity, and the more I resist confession. And when I'm in judgment or in a space of arrogance, it's impossible to receive mercy because I am now over here holding myself to an impossible standard, attempting to save myself. And guess what? We are very poor saviors. In fact, that is what we're set free from. Not God's punishment. He's not interested in that. We're not set free from the thing that happened, God's like, I've already forgotten that, right? What we're set free from is our own shame and our own guilt and our own arrogant view of ourselves and all of the self-punishment that we heap on ourselves. And that's when we actually have the space to receive his forgiveness. And by the way, just in closing, this is why confession is never just between God and I. I know we think that, like, I just need to confess to God, but every time confession's mentioned in the scriptures, it's communal. So 1 John 1, 9, notice it says, if we, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice it doesn't say, if I confess my sin, I am faithful and just, he is faithful and just, forgive me my sin. No, he says us, our sin. Because sin is communal. It affects one another. It has an impact on one of James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man, righteous person is powerful and effective. See, we have these fantasies at times that my concealing of my sin, my hiding only affects me. It doesn't affect anyone else. It's just me being in a closet over here hidden. That, that if I withhold my sin, it's just about me and God. It's about... See, it's interesting that Adam and Eve suddenly realized that they were naked and the first thing that they hid from was one another. Not from God, he came later. The first, they realized, I'm naked. Oh, I don't want you to see my nakedness. So now I need to hide from you and I need to hide from God. So not only is my relationship with God impacted, but now my relationship with others are impacted. So they make coverings to cover themselves from one another, not from God. So this is what happens when we are unwilling to come out from the hiding. I remember early on in 2020, Marla and I were becoming resource parents uh, to adopt. At that time, we were looking into adoption and we went through the process and we had finalized all the paperwork. We had gotten our certification. We had gone the house study and I was frustrated. I was anxious. I was all kinds of things inside that I was unwilling to confess to Marla. Because Marla was more excited and I was a little more apprehensive about the situation. And I kept hiding it and hiding it because I didn't want her to be disappointed in what was going on for me or I thought this might, you know, I might look bad or I might mess up the whole thing if I'm honest with her about where I'm at. And I remember one time, we're about to leave the house. Things are happening, you know, we're getting shoes on and things like that. And 
And I had this outburst in the middle of the frustration of getting out of the house where I said, how on earth am I supposed to manage a house of three if I can't even imagine manage a house of two? And it just came bursting out of me. Which, by the way, that was not a confession. That was an explosion. There's a difference. <laughs> but see, what I had noticed is that I had been short and snippy and disconnected from Marla. And I had been unwilling to be connected with her in that space that was needed because of my unwillingness just to be honest with what was taking place for me. See, that lack of confession didn't just affect me, it affected her in that process. Marla knew something was off, but I was just unwilling to share. See, when you keep things in the dark, you keep others in the dark. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone where you're like, I know something's off, but I don't know what, and they're unwilling to share? Isn't that maddening? That happens when we are unwilling to confess. That happens when we are unwilling to go there with other people. That they pay the price. It's interesting how it always comes back to this, doesn't it? That God frees us, and then he frees others in the process. This is the beautiful thing about confession. It's like double freedom. We get free, and then everyone around us gets free because it sets us free. And our words have power. This is one of the ways that we are made in the images of God is that, that when we speak, things happen. That we speak to create, but we also speak to release. Like, hey, I'm going to confess these so this, things can happen. This is, even when we come to Jesus, it's through confession. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's through confessing. It's with our mouth that things are released, that we are, that we are released that things are set free. And so our words create life and death. They create freedom and they create scarcity. And this is the first step in entering into a season of revival. God cannot move when we are in the dark. All revival begins with us being willing to lay down our image of ourselves and to step into this future that God has for us of freedom. So this morning, in our last little bit of time together, we want to create an opportunity to confess. And I want to tell you how that's going to work. In just a moment, the band's going to come back up. We're going to play a song. And I'm going to have some individuals who are trusted elders and leaders and pastors, some of them of different roles in our community, that are going to be in the back. And they would love to just receive your confession. And I'm talking about big, small, anything in between. This is an opportunity to release that and to step into something new. Now, a couple of things. One, these are people that I would trust to confess to, and they, they, are, uh, they know that whatever you confess to them will not go anywhere else. So it's not like we're going to have a powwow after this and be like, do you know what so-and-so confessed? It's like between you and them. It's, I ju I've just told them as if, as if it's coming to them, up to God, and then it's gone, right? Here's the other thing is that after you confess, here's what they're going to say. They're just going to say, thank you for your confession. God bless you. That's it. So they're going to release you back into freedom. And I believe that God's going to set so many people free this morning. Now, I'd like for you just to close your eyes for a minute. Because it's easy to come to a time of confession like this and think that this is for people who have deep, dark secrets. And that's absolutely not what this is for. You might have a deep, dark secret, and this is an opportunity to have some freedom. This is about a moment where people are committed to freedom and revival. That's what this moment's about. Oswald Chambers writes, he says, 
Sometimes we think there's this big thing that God wants us to confess, but there's usually just these small things that we think are insignificant, an attitude, a reoccurring thought, something that we've held on to. And God says he wants us to get us alone to take care of that thing. Because behind that thing lies this stronghold of stubbornness, saying like, God, I will not give you access to this area of my life. So I, I want you just to think through some areas of confession. You may need to confess some relational resentment or bitterness or offense today. Maybe you're here and there's someone in your life who you have some bitterness or resentment or offense with. Maybe you've minimized it. Like, it's not that big a deal. But God's like, no, that's actually what's going to keep you from stepping into this revival season. Maybe you have some apathy in a relationship, like you've just decided to give up. Maybe God wants you to confess some attitudes this morning. Maybe you've noticed areas of entitlement. Maybe you've noticed areas of arrogance. Maybe you've noticed spaces where you are just so controlling, like I have to stay in control. Maybe you've noticed anger that wells up, that you're like, man, I, where's this coming from? God just wants you to release all that today. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe you're just, maybe you look at your finances and you're like, man, it's a mess. I mismanage them. Even these giving conversations freak me out. Maybe there's hoarding of money. Maybe there's fear around money. Maybe it's time to confess some things around your physical body. Maybe you recognize, man, I've been overeating or undereating. Maybe there's some sexual habits that you've stepped into. Maybe you just haven't been taking care of yourself. And you're, man, God's given me this temple and I just have been abusing it in some way. Maybe it's in your spirituality. Maybe you're apathetic with God. Maybe you're angry. Maybe there are things you've noticed you've placed before him. Maybe there are things from your past, things that you keep replaying that inform you of why you're a horrible person or why you can't have things or why God isn't for you, whatever it may be. Maybe there's things that you've done or not done that you keep holding on to. Like, gosh, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. And I, look, I don't care how big or how small, today is a day of confession where we leave it here. Because we cannot step into a future asking God to move powerfully if we are not willing to allow him to move powerfully in the hidden areas of our life first. So today this moves beyond theory and cheerleading into a space of freedom. So I'm going to ask right now with your eyes closed, those of you who are going to be in the back, you can just head back there right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer just of courage for us. I know this can be an act of courage because some of you may, even right now you may think, gosh, what are people going to think of me? I don't know what people are going to think of me if I, if I say this. Maybe you're like, maybe you're a leader in the church. You know, if I get up, people are going to think I'm crazy. Look, I've, I have confessed before this and I will continue to confess. So if I need confession, we all need confession. <laughs> and so I'm going to pray. And it might be full for, we're going we're gonna to play one song. It might be full for a little bit, so just find, a, you can make a line behind someone. They're spread out in the back. Um, but do not let anything get between you and confession today. I don't care how big, how small. Father, right now, I ask that you would give us courage to face the things that we have kept hidden from you, the things that we have decided are bigger than you, or the areas that we've decided that we need to control on our own or to keep hidden or to keep back, God. And today, I pray for a spirit of freedom in this place. I pray against any voice of shame, any voice of needing to keep things look a certain way or to keep things 
as is, God, but that there would be just a, pers- a passionate pursuit of freedom. And I pray that we would drink the cup all the way to the bottom, that there would be nothing left. God, that we would just, God, release everything that needs to be released today as we confess. Jesus, we are grateful for this moment of freedom that you are launching your revival from. Start with us. Start with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would all stand with me and head on back, find someone that you can confess with, and let's reach for freedom today as we sing this song together. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.